0: Welcome to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. On today's daily NYFF 61 edition, director Yorgos Lanthimos, costume designer Holly Waddington, composer Jerskin Fendricks, and production designers James Price and Shauna Heath discuss Poor Things, a main slate selection of this year's festival with NYFF programmer Rachel Rosen. In his boldest vision yet, iconoclast auteur Yorgos Lanthimos, whose films The Lobster and The Favorite previously played at NYFF, creates an outlandish alternate 19th century on the cusp of technological breakthrough, in which a peculiar childlike woman named Bella, played by Emma Stone, lives with her mysterious caretaker, the scientist and surgeon Godwin Baxter, played by Willem Dafoe. Violently rambunctious, with a growing and unquenchable desire for sexual gratification, Bella turns every social propriety on its head. The shocking truth about her state, soon revealed, doesn't stop Godwin's gentle young apprentice, played by Rami Youssef, from falling in love with her. After a rakish libertine lawyer, Mark Ruffalo, whisks her away to see the world, Bella comes to understand her place in it, allowing us to bear witness to her journey of self-actualization. At once poignant and grotesque, Poor Things, based on a 1992 novel by Alistair Gray, is a punkish update of the Frankenstein story that becomes a deeply feminist fairy tale about women taking back control of their own bodies and minds. To learn more and get tickets for this year's New York Film Festival, visit filmlink.org. Enjoy the conversation with Yorgos Lanthimos and the team from Poor Things, which opens on December 8th from Searchlight Pictures.
1: Uh, So I'm going to start at the beginning. Um, I understand that uh, the book of poor things was something that you read quite some time ago and that you also had a chance to meet Adester Gray at some point. I'm wondering if you can just say what your first impressions of the book were uh, and what interested you in eventually adapting it, but then maybe why it was such a long time until you actually did.
2: Yeah. Well, <clears throat> yeah, I did, I did read the book around 2009, I think, um, and uh, I, I immediately fell in love with it. I, I hadn't read anything like it, and um, it was mainly uh, the character of, of Bella Baxter that I was drawn. To, I, I just thought she was just this incredible, uh, unique uh, human being, uh, and uh, but but the world of the novel itself, and you know all the characters and the the premise of it, and how it allowed you to um, to explore this story of this woman that. Has a second chance in life to uh, experience the world in her own terms and um, the tone of it, the humor in it. Uh, it was it was a very rich, unique um, uh, mat- piece of material. Um, so I um, I immediately uh, first of all I was very surprised that when I learned that it hadn't been turned into a film uh, because it was written in the '90s, like early '90s. Um, uh, and, uh, I immediately, um, contacted, uh, Alistair Gray, uh, went to Glasgow and met him. Uh, he was a a wonderful, unique, energetic man. He was in his eighties, I think, when I met him or, uh, uh, just seven uh, late seventies. Uh, he was a wonderful painter as well. Uh, he did uh, most of the il- illustrations in his books. Uh, you know, very, very inspiring uh, presence. Uh, so he, uh, he saw Dogtooth before meeting me. Um, and um, as soon as I w- got to his house, he just. Opened the door and dragged me outside and started walking around in Glasgow and you know showing me various places that have inspired him and that he's spent all of his life um, you know walking around in the cemetery, the university, the park, this, that, the other, and he was just you know he didn't just stop and I would I would have to like uh, try and keep up with him uh, and you know in the end he just went back to his house. And said, like, I saw your film Dogtooth. I think you're a very talented young man. Uh, you're welcome to <laughs> to make my my novel into a film. And said, okay, that's it. Okay, bye now. And, <laughs> and we left. Um, so it, it was, you know, it was really a wonderful experience. Um, and I, of course, I immediately tried to get it going. Uh, but I, I, it was very difficult at the time, I think. One of the reasons was I, I had only made uh, Greek films at this I think I had just made when I met him in 2011, I also had just made Alps uh, and uh, I hadn't made an English language film, uh, certainly not of that scale. Uh, so when I said like oh I want to do this, people were like, no no no. <laughs> <laughs> something more simple somewhat. <laughs> uh, Um and. Uh, There was that, I think, there was also the fact that, you know, this kind of story at the time uh, wasn't, people weren't so interested in it. Um, And um, anyway, I just, I I always had it, you know, in my mind, I always wanted to make it. And when, after I made the favorite, I I felt that it was the right time to like, try it again. And uh, it worked.
1: And I'm wondering just, um, I mean, it's so exciting to have this great group of um, craftspeople who worked with you, but um, I'm just going to say in acknowledgement of a strike, there's obviously a key figure missing here. Um, But I'm also curious, because I've heard you say in a previous interview that you never work on developing a script with an actor in mind in case you can't get them or they're not available. Um, So I'm just curious if you can talk about uh, at what point in your thinking it might be time to do this again, uh, that you knew that Emma Stone would be the person that you wanted to work with, and then again, at what point she also became a producer on the project.
2: Well, that was, uh, it was early on, uh, c- uh, c- c- while we were making the favorite, I-, I think we we had just started writing the script with Tony McNamara, and uh, we had a wonderful experience with Emma working on that, and I think uh, during it, I mentioned poor things to her, and she immediately got very excited, uh, just, you know, the idea of it. Um, I think she still hasn't read the book, by the way. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that.
1: Well, it's not available again until it comes <laughs> yeah, out no. next week. so <laughs> um,
2: But I think I it was my fault, like I said, like don't I told her about the story, but I said, like don't read the book because it's very complex, it has a different novelistic structure, so you know, we're working on the screenplay, you'll read that um uh, maybe she's read it by now i shouldn't say that uh anyway um so she you're, you're only in front of like a few yeah, hundred press just, people you know. so no worries yeah so <laughs> it was during the favorite so I, I i mentioned it to her and she got very excited immediately and uh you know as soon as we had a draft i showed it to her and she was totally on board and she wanted to learn everything about it and you know like we started discussing about the world and how it would look and you know other people that we would work we would work with so it kind of became a natural thing that she, she became a producer on the film and you could see she wanted to be involved in everything and look at everything and um So I guess midway, I also knew in my mind that it was her uh, who's going to be Bella. As I mentioned before, you've assembled
1: this uh, incredible group of people to work with, um, some of whom you've worked with before, some of whom you haven't, some of whom have worked on feature films before, some who haven't. Um, And I'm just wondering if you can um, say a little bit about um, when you're putting together your cast and crew, uh, whether you think about how they're going to, like how do you go about putting together that group of people, whether you think about how they'll work with each other, for example, your production designers hadn't worked with each other before. Um, And never
2: since? (laughs) (laughs) They haven't had the chance. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. Um, I guess I'm
1: asking you to maybe introduce them yes, and say yes, what I, I and say it what now. it is. Okay, uh, it. Yes, about each one. <laughs> then.
2: <laughs> so yeah, it, well, it's it's a very instinctive thing. I think you can't really know how it's going to work. So with you know Jerskin, for example, I it was very hard for me. Uh, up until now to work with a composer with original music in my films i initially in my earlier films i didn't use any music or music you know uh, uh, composed music as a soundtrack uh, at some point i figured out a way to work with music by you know working during the edits with existing pieces of music and then i couldn't like find the exact same tone with anything else that would be produced afterwards. So it was very, you know, particular how I could, you know, work with music and, but I always, you know, was hoping that at some point I would manage to do that. And I I just listened to Jerskin's first album. And um, although, I mean, I can't even describe what it is. <laughs> I don't know if you can, <laughs> but... <laughs> For some, I mean, it's, I'll say that it's, it's not straightforward that you think, oh yeah, this guy, it's, he would be great to write music for a film, but there was something in it that I just, it just felt so right about it. And I said like, why, you know, why don't I just, uh, you know, give it a, give it a go. And, you know, we, we met and we discussed and, um, I mean, he can tell the story from, from then on, uh. And uh, you want to tell the story?
1: Well, I guess I, I'm gonna I'm gonna oh, should turn I, to it say around. Something a little. About no, no, everyone. no, no. It's okay because uh, I think what. Um, What's
2: the structure here?
1: It, uh,
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't mean to confuse you. Um, I think, in fact, what I'll do is ask each of you uh, maybe to say one thing about a choice you made in terms, because you created this wonderful world, which seems very cohesive on screen, and yet, of course, you're all contributing your own part to it. So, for instance, starting with Robbie, I'll just ask you... About lens choices, uh, right? Because uh, there's a very particular uh, point of view.
3: Um, yeah. Um, that's my one thing. Uh, <laughs> well, you can,
1: you can, you can <laughs> no, no, sub in I, another I'm, one if you as don't far like as that well, one.
3: <laughs> I kind of work with Yorgos, so he, he tends to have uh, an idea of or trying to come up with a, a, a language visually. So the favorite, obviously, the first time. I worked with him and we kind of had like a big wide lens I I wouldn't have used before and it was like quite a exciting way to film from my perspective. So I was learning a lot. So, you know, I like to think why I'm on the job is because I'm an enthusiastic, proficient operator <laughs> and Jorg is like, all right, well let's let's try this and you know, let's have a go at a new idea visually here. And obviously Poor Things is a very, you know, exciting film for visuals and we kind of just decided to ex- expand on what we'd done in the favor a bit and try out, you know, even you know, different lenses that would kind of visualize the world. But we like a wide lens; <laughs> it's fun. It suits the story, I, I think. You know, it's uh, it, it it kind of expands that world in a good way.
1: And Holly for the costumes. So, what was the question?
4: Yeah. Sorry, Just costumes, is it, is yeah. it sort Perfect. of? Um, I mean, my one thing then is that um, I I think that you know Shona and James and I and Yorgos, we worked very cohesively together actually. So lots of the conversations were with, were all of us, and I think that. The one thing really is just being allowed to play and experiment and and come up with stuff because it, you know gossip's way of working isn't prescriptive, which which means that you've got this much more exciting um, project ahead of you, and you have to find something and you have to come up with stuff. And, and there's you know the, yes yeah, so that's yeah so that's the sort of distinguishing feature I would say of a project like Poor Things, yeah.
1: Um. I, I love the sort of mixture of materials in the costumes um, and that the way it sort of plays with the idea of a period piece and that uh, some parts of it seem incredibly modern and some seem historical. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah,
4: sure. The- so so the, the most things are really rooted in the late 19th century. They're rooted in the 1890s most pieces but there's lots of mixing as you as you say lots of um contemporary fabrics most of the fabrics were really chosen because of their textural qualities um, we use lots of polyurethane and latex um, and and also in the way that we the way that i put together the clothes was not conventional to the period so that's that's how they feel modern really so often there were you know that she's often we- wearing nothing on the bottom half which is obviously not true to periods um, but actually the shapes themselves are very often taken from original pieces or patterns you know f- from references
1: and for the production design uh, you as I mentioned before you've had not worked together before. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you approached um, doing the production design together?
5: Uh, go on then. Um, so uh, James and I come from very different backgrounds. Um, I don't have any experience in film, and James has a lot. So I worked from the bottom up, and he worked from the top down. And I went small details and up, and he went big details and down. And we kind of met in the middle and and sort of bashed it out like that, but it was it was a comfortable way of working because I'm obsessed with details and color and texture, and you have a very practical and architectural view on what we had to achieve, which was enormous. We built four cities so as
6: yeah. yeah absolutely i I really like um, composite sets or. Um, sets that, you know, composite sets of rooms off one another that you can go to but with this where well, with Poor Things, it was epic we had like four big composite sets which actually becomes something more like an immersive set where you, if you look at something like Lisbon, that's actually a theme park, it's kind of like a Disney theme park we had the biggest stage in continental Europe at the time, and you could wander around that place from the hotel. You know, when Bella goes wandering around Lisbon, that's literally what you can do. And for something, when you're shooting with those wide-angle lenses that um, Robbie and Yorgos tend to use, and you know, we were building sets which people go, nobody builds this big anymore. And I'm like, well, we do, you know, because You want to give these guys and and the cast the most flexibility to put the camera wherever they like. We don't have lots of green screen. Everything that was in those sets is really there. Painted backdrops, cutouts, you know, hugely amounts of techniques that nobody ever does anymore really and stuff that i'd only learned about film school you know like making miniatures and yeah cutouts and 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 the, the view from like the top of london it's all it's all kind of old trickery but we also then mixed in led screens and with the ship and so everything was on the table and that was what was really exciting to me was to be able to just just do stuff that we might never get to do again
1: Uh, And so I'll come back to to you just to talk a little bit about, um, I mean, how you approach doing a feature film, this feature film.
7: Yeah. um, I don't know. I didn't do any film stuff before, and I mainly did a lot of pop songs, and I really like writing pop music um, because it's a very – you get to play with feelings in a in a nice adolescent way, and it's very indulgent. And you get to talk about yourself a lot. And uh, it was that in terms of making decisions on the film, I was really lucky to have. The first thing I looked at was Tony's script and I was really struck by the the feelings in it and the way in which all the characters express their feelings and obviously the conceit of the film is that Bella's a kid and whatever but all of the characters like Godwin and Duncan and so on they're so childish and they're so like unable to hold in if they feel like they you know there's some kind of injustice or they're upset about something and it comes out in this really like extremely endearing and kind of cute and embarrassing way and that's basically like my 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 toolbox musically is just talking about feelings in a very embarrassingly kind of open way and that so that was i think my in to the script there was also the cosmetic side and making sure that it like could keep up with how extraordinarily imaginative all of the production and the costume designs were But at the core of it, I think it really had to be very emotionally vulnerable and not in control of itself emotionally at all. Like, really, yeah, kind of embarrassing. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And in terms of sort of moderating the vision, I know in the past sometimes you've watched movies with your crew, um, you know, not as a specific reference, but just uh, inspirational. And I'm wondering if you did that on this film and if so, what you might have watched.
2: I mean, we certainly didn't watch uh, films together, but I think at some point there was like a, a long list very diverse <laughs> like very it, obscure uh, yeah <laughs> which was you know like uh, it's just inspiration basically and for various different things you know from you know for the pr- production design to atmosphere to humor to while we're writing the script you know like things like Buñuel and uh we looked at Dracula that you know you they'd use some techniques uh was one of those films that you know felt um um that had some kind of uh relation to what else was it like it was the shit of sales the beast oh yeah fellini of course uh bit of
3: fast binder
2: yeah fast fast bender bender, bender. sorry <laughs> it's always a tricky one it is a tricky one. <laughs> You know, for for the movement of you know of the camera and the zooms that we used, and so it was like very. You can't like pinpoint, you know, anything particular that you actually end up seeing here. I guess, uh, Paul and Pressburger for how they used the Baron as well, wasn't there? Yeah,
3: you know. The original one.
2: Yeah. Um, so, so it's like a, you know,
1: <laughs> like. A... I'm also interested um, in. In the way you developed, I'll just call it, the physical language of Bella's movement, which is quite unique and extraordinary.
2: Well, I mean, it's it's mainly Emma who's, you know, unique and extraordinary. Because, uh, I mean, you can't tell someone how to do this it's just i mean i couldn't you know believe it afterwards like especially when i was editing because you know when you're actually making the film it's like it's a lot of stress you're trying to get things and you're hoping it's you know it's working and but then you know when i was looking uh at it while we were editing it was like i was really uh just you know amazed by her um what we what we did together and I tried to help her with was to um uh, figure out what the stages were of her uh physical development, including language as well, which we tried to then, you know, also make part of the script itself um, but it was it was just, um dividing the the script into stages for the develop for the evolution of the character uh and then we rehearsed okay stage one like how does she walk how do you move how do you how do you speak you know what sound do you make and how do you sit how do you do this how do you do that how do you eat uh okay then stage two again the whole thing also it, it was very helpful because um, she, especially in the beginning, she had to do, you know, the earliest Bella and the last part of the film, you know, back to back, uh, cause we were shooting in London and that was a set that we had to strike. So she starts in London in the beginning of the film and at the end of the film. So she had to go from, you know, stage one, Bella to stage 10 or whatever it was, you know, in a couple of days. So it was really uh difficult i think but it did help uh, that we had you know uh structured it in such a way where we could go like okay this part of the script is stage three so this is how you do it and it was still very you know complicated and difficult and but sh- you know she's um she's just incredible and in the you know the the, the the vulnerability of it and the sensitivity and the humor of it and it's just so difficult to do and I I just don't know why she did it.
1: I mean you usually have I think pretty robust rehearsal um and I'm I'm curious if that um if it's a rehearsal just to make the characters discover their character more deeply or if it ever has ramifications that need to be responded to by production or costume or script.
2: Yeah, I don't know if someone would call them robust if they saw us rehearsing. <laughs> it's mainly, you know, playing games and having a lot of fun uh, and, you know, you know, ridiculing ourselves, me included. Uh, just you know, feeling comfortable with each other and trying things without saying, okay, this is how it's going to be or analyzing things. It's mostly a period of, you know, just getting into it and um, getting the script um, and the words in the actors in a way that is not uh, at all intellectual. Like, you know, just you know, say the words during a game, you know, just make fun of it or whatever. Don't think about what you're going to do when you're actually doing it. So it kind of allows them this freedom and they get to know the words, you know, from a very different perspective to something very literal uh, and intellectual. Uh, So that's the process. And, you know, sometimes some physical you know aspects of it do influence things like like for example like the, the when they were dancing in lisbon uh that dance in lisbon the restaurant i, I guess we figured out what, that we needed a much bigger space for them for uh, that what we were designing or you know how we're gonna film certain things uh and sometimes you know script changes like uh, what I was saying before, like, uh, when we were, uh, devising the, st- the various stages of Bella's character, you know, there was the evolution of the language and, you know, when you actually do it, you realize that maybe you need other things, you know, like the synonyms situation. We started like coming up with that stuff during rehearsal and that she would, you know, come up with this, all these new words and she was excited to use and she was just, um, so, Things like that, I think, more details, but you know, it kind of affects the whole thing.
1: OK, so uh, I think we're ready to open it up to audience questions. We'll start with you there in the short sleeves. Yes, midway back, looking over your shoulder. Yes, you. Yes.
0: <laughs> hey, guys. Thank you so much for coming.
1: Um, I was wondering if you could talk about the color theory on the movie, because there's so many instances where um, atmosphere and elements of the film are not
0: what they would normally be. They're very unusual colors. And I was wondering your exploration of that, or were there any areas where you're like, no, that's not the right fit for this set or not?
5: I'll do the color, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the color was always the, the, the main thing to try and make it as kind of as wrong as we could Um, we were trying to do that with many things with the era as well to try and make it not have a time but we took a lot of inspiration for the colour from um, anatomical drawings and bodily fluids um, the yucky ones and the beautiful ones um, and everything in between so I think that's where we went to yeah sort of pinks and, and saturated reds and Lilac sort of tripe colors. We always tried to relate it to something a bit revolting.
6: (laughs) And with Lisbon, we did did away with the blue because Lisbon, Portugal's got a lot of tiles that are blue. We changed those to green. And there was a guy called Antonio, uh, what's the ribia? The the French futurist guy. Alberto Robida. Yeah, Alberto Robida. And um, looking back at his work recently, it's sort of like hugely influential on the color palette of Lisbon and stuff, right? Yeah.
5: Sort of like sort of psychedelics sort of pastels. Um, he sort of was a futurist in the sort of Belle Epoque, so we looked to him for his colors as well. So yeah, we, we concentrated a lot on that.
2: And then we shot in black and white, so it was always. Like <laughs>
6: Hi, congratulations on the film.
0: I'd like to hear from you uh,
6: your, your message to the society. I, it's so many, so many things that I collect in this film, such as being polite to society, sexuality, religion. I'd like you to tell me a little bit of these dogmas that you've been, you've been exploring in your career. Would you please? Thank you.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I, as you, it's as you put it, like it's exploring, and it's like um, there's there's no, you know, direct message. I think uh, it's mostly. Uh, creating these uh, conditions for characters and situations that, you know, you reveal uh, conflicts in, you know, human behavior, uh, the society around humans, humans themselves, and um, experimenting and see what comes out of it. And then I think it's if it works, uh, it works for different people in different ways according to, you know, the viewer I mean, uh, their you know, their background, their culture their their story um, how they perceive all of those things and what they come that they, the, what they can take away from it, so that's what I've been always been trying to do, not like um, enclose, you know, things and try and come up with a uh, with a result in a dogma but rather than you know asking questions and you know see what the questions that people that experience the film have to ask or do they have an answer and um, the way that they uh, experience them does it say something about them and you know hopefully it's a it's a it's a, it's a you know never-ending dialogue and and even more so if you know it would be much more interesting if you you know experience the film later again maybe you have different ideas and views about it and questions or answers so i hope that's the way it works
6: um hi congratulations to everyone on the film i loved it um thank you i uh, I think, you know, there's been a lot of discourse, a lot of debate over sex scenes in movies. Obviously, Bella's sexual awakening is a huge part of her journey, but I'm curious what your contribution, Yorgo, specifically is to that dialogue, as you say.
2: Well, the contribution is this, (laughs) what you just saw. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, as you said, like it it was a very important part of her journey. Uh, We felt, that we shouldn't shy away from it it would feel very disingenuous to um tell this story uh about this character who's so free and so open uh and then be you know prude about you know the the sexual aspect of it so it was clear from the beginning but also from the novel from the script from you know my discussions with emma as well and you know how we came up with you know those scenes that you know she had to be free there should be no judgment the same way that everything else works in the film the same you know the the same way she learns about language and uh human suffering and love and uh, science and politics it's you know the same way she should be you know equally free about sex and anything else Thank you very much. Um, My question is for Mr. Lanthimos. And
0: um, I suppose through the absence of your colleague and screenwriter, uh, Tony McNamara, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to your process adapting Alistair Gray's book, and specifically what led you to the decision to transpose the setting of the novel in Glasgow to London and to replace some of the more specific historical context leading up to the First World War with steampunk aesthetics. Thank you very much
2: with what was the last
0: steampunk Steampunk, steampunk,
2: steampunk. aesthetics oh, yes. we don't like steampunk they didn't like that <laughs> <laughs> can someone get rid of that guy <laughs> <laughs> um well i i just felt like i was um i think the novel has this other uh layer to it that is you know, very political, uh, political in a certain way, and it's almost like an essay about, you know, the relationship of Scotland to the rest of the island and uh, which couldn't be part of what we were making. Um, so, if we were to make this film about this woman and uh, kind of uh, adopt her point of view and tell this story, um, I felt that it was more honest you know from our part to just you know uh, place it you know in London, make it more the same way that we created the, the rest of the world, which is like something more familiar and more international and more um, um, well less specific in a way. Uh and also working with all you know these American actors, it would be kind of strange. Although, you know, Willem does a great job uh in representing the Scottish element. And actually we were very inspired uh, uh by Alistair Gray himself and his, his presence and so we uh yeah, he was uh you know very important to shaping uh that character so we try to maintain um that aspect of it through uh, baxter and that character
1: okay i'm afraid that's what we have time for but thank you so much for coming to thank share you. that film with us